Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on Bar Radio. We're off. We're started. I can see the chat, Natalie. Don't you worry about that. Um, and uh, it's uh, I'm putting my socks on because my feet are cold. And uh, I've just been... get started. Here we go. Guys, you've got to put your socks on before you get started. That's the way it works. And uh, and we're off. This is, uh, this is uh, I'm on a, yeah, I'm on a, I'm on a, another. He's on a new computer. Don't worry, Nick, I've got this. Got this. Happy New Year, listeners. Welcome to the first 2021 episode of Fan Club. Your name uh, is... Nick. <laughs> My name is Nathaniel Metcalf, and you are listening to Five Star Fun Size Family Fan Club on Fubar Radio at midday on Friday, the 22nd of January. How was that, Nick? Well, I've, I only... I blame myself, Matt, because I've, I've never... I feel like um, an over-controlling parent that's never uh, let their child uh, drive the car before and uh, and now at the age of 41 they finally got behind the wheel and they've driven it right into the wall of the garage um, it's, it's my own fault for being overprotective and a control freak um, I'll never put you in that vulnerable position ever again <laughs> thanks Nick um... you're welcome um, I think what Nat was trying to say was... <laughs> is it needed? Is this, is this needed or is I it... I trying to say okay. was Happy New Year, guys. Uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you're new to fan club, then welcome. And if, uh, if, you're, uh, if you're just coming back after the winter break, uh, then welcome. And uh, if uh, you just listen to all of this out of sequence and, uh, and you've got no concept of time, then this is, this is the beginning of t- 2021. It's January the 20th, 2021. Uh, this will be aired on January the 22nd, 2021. J- Donald Trump is literally just getting on to Air Force One is as it? we speak. That's what's happening historically right now. Um, and... Uh, yeah, we're missing that for this. So it better be good, guys. <laughs> Me and Nat are going to continue doing the same high-quality broadcasting. It's really up to the listener to make it as good as they can. Hmm. If you're not having a Am good right? time, it doesn't. We don't know. That's well, that's the catchphrase. We've no idea. If you're not ever, if you're not having a good time, it makes no difference because we've never known. <laughs> <laughs> We've never known. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's, uh, yeah, so welcome to another edition of uh, 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 Fun Size Family Fun Size, what is it? <laughs> Five Star Family Fun Size Fan Club. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's been a while. That's what we're, that's what we're doing. Uh, my name is Nick, and this is, of course, Nathaniel my, um humble. <laughs> my humble. Humble sidekick. <laughs> Nathaniel Metcalf. Uh, Nathaniel, my, um, I am Nat's co-host, Nick. 
no one was buying that, right? <laughs> anyway, so um, I haven't seen, I haven't talked to you in ages. Still got this fucking Christmas present to give you. And uh, um, when I was, when I was, my plan was when I was allowed, when we were in tier four, I thought I'll get my bike out and I'll come up your way and I'll uh, I'll have a chat. And then it just sort of became a can't really do that now, unless I go for some really long exercise. I think that's the only way I could I could get it off you. <laughs> But if that was on a bike, then that is exercise, right? I suppose it is, yeah. I suppose that's the exercise. Yeah. Probably can. Nick is on the Zoom today, on, uh, but in a, on a different computer. He's <coughs> moving around, and it's quite, it's quite exciting. It's quite kinetic. It's like watching, um, well, I... like watching a Guy Ritchie film. Crank. It's <laughs> yeah. like watching Crank. Like crank three, uh, if he doesn't do some top notch um, podcasting, radio entertainment, then his heart stops and he um, and he bloody dies. It's weird because when I talk, I'm not in my own ears, so I can't hear myself talk, but I can hear you talk. Oh, that's all right, you can hear yourself in your own ears, though, right? Can't you? No, not with these bloody headphones on. It's a bit weird, I have to say. Oh, it's fine. These are all technical issues. I was on another computer right up until the last minute, wasn't I? And now I'm here. This is the sort of stuff that we would be doing. But this is, we've done five minutes of stuff that we probably shouldn't have aired. But do you know what? That's add that to the other two years. <laughs> okay, right. So we're back. We're back in the new year with new attitudes. I imagine, Nathaniel. Did you make any New Year's resolutions? No, because it just went the same, didn't it? It's just the same still. My my New Year's resolution is to, at some point, like leave the house and uh, uh, get this Christmas present off you. I think that's my main uh, plan for twenty twenty one. At some point, that's that's all I've got. I hope um, I hope I'll be able to do some things by uh, by December thirty first, twenty twenty one. Sure. Maybe maybe I'll have a vaccine. Maybe I won't. Sure. Maybe we'll be we'll be partying at Studio Fifty Four. <laughs> Welcome well, in. Maybe yeah, of nineteen seventy. On the Sunset Strip. Yeah, we're going to go down Sunset Strip. Um, <laughs> is that where Studio Fifty Four is? I don't know. I'm not an expert on these things. No. I, don't know, I don't know if I particularly enjoy Studio Fifty Four. If I went, um. They made that film, didn't they, with Mike Myers and Salma Hayek? Yeah, I've never seen it. Quite fancy seeing it. Good film. It's weird, isn't it? Um, I haven't seen it. <laughs> I'm just trying to find a position in my flat. Um, so that's what you, your New Year's resolution is, uh, that by the end of the year you want to be partying hard in 1970s. Yeah. Uh, it's in New York. Of course it's in New York. The Sunset Strip is Los Angeles. Um, so... Uh, yeah, that I don't. Yeah, I, I really didn't make any news resolutions. Didn't even think about it. That's kind I'm of just saying that maybe, maybe if either of us had watched the film, we'd have known yeah. something. I get all of my all of my facts off of films. <laughs> I, I do. It was closed in 1986. Apparently, that won't stop me. Won't stop me going. Yeah. Won't stop the music, as the no. village people once said. Exactly. In the film, don't stop the music. Uh, the Village People, Mike Myers, Michael Jackson. 
We'll all be there on New Year's Eve 2021. Watching Mike Myers. Probably on the telly. If in the little office, probably got an office and I'll probably put Hoot Nanny on or something. Mike Myers back in 1986 was probably still doing Whack a Day, wasn't he? Yeah, he probably was. He was probably here. He was
online saying, well, it's gin o'clock and it's like 11 o'clock in the morning. And you just think, oh, well, I've never done that. Um, but yeah, I've just felt like I've tried everything else. I've tried therapy and I've tried uh, exercise and I've tried uh, antidepressants. And I've tried all of this stuff. And uh, the one thing I haven't tried is, you know, mm. I'm going to stop drinking. So I've stopped Probably drinking. Probably a good time to do it, I guess, when pubs are shut as well. So you're not going to have that. Well, to be fair, it's not so much a New Year's resolution as uh, <laughs> it's been uh, 100% enforced on. No, it's um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really good, it's a good it's a good time it's a good time to say. I don't know I don't know. I mean, ch- change the subject slightly. My sister had a baby um, a year ago, so I was an uncle uh, a year ago, and she was kind of like, oh God you know, we're not allowed out and it's really difficult, can't see any of our friends and stuff like that. And it's just like, well, you've just had a baby. You wouldn't be doing that anyway. Surely, I've never heard anyone say that having a baby has improved their social life. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, since the baby. Oh, we've been going out every fucking night of the week, getting hammered. You know, it's like, like I've never heard anyone say that. So in a way, maybe lockdown is like the perfect time to have a baby. Yeah, sure. um, and also late it's now, kind probably. of like it's it's a bit late now, but like uh, but like for anyone that's kind of like uh, had a baby, I've known so many people that've had a baby in lockdown. And you go, it's obviously there's lots of pressures and it's very difficult, and you know, uh, just stuff like grocery shopping is uh, is difficult and all of that stuff. I appreciate there are difficulties that are added to it, but on the plus side, you're not missing out on a social life, and also when when the kid is that age, they're not missing out on childhood memories. It must be much more difficult than they're sort of like school age, teenagers, or like when you, you know, it's like, it's, it's a fucker for everyone. <laughs> but maybe now is the time to, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop doing exercise for New Year. <laughs> yeah. You know? right. I'm going to see less people for New Year. Do something nice and easy. I'm going to stop uh, drinking in pubs. Uh, and in my own flat, <laughs> and everywhere. So, so it's good, and I and I'm and I and I'm, I'm enjoying it as well. It's good. I have got like a slightly more positive outlook on life. Oh dear, uh, that's good. That's interesting that that happens quite soon afterwards. Well, I gave up for December, so I didn't drink December, and then I drank over like Christmas week, and then. Um, and I go, I go sort of like a month here and a month there, but I think it's different because I've kind of like, some, like sometimes, hmm, some of the time in the past when I've given up drinking has been kind of like, I've had like a cold or a cough. And um, that it's just an act of God that stopped me, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, but, and then, and then you kind of like get back to it and you're like, oh, well, well, I'll just see how long I can go without a drink for. I never do like dry January and I never do sober in October because uh, my birthday's in October for a start. But also I feel like it's kind of um, a little bit kind of populist. You know, it's kind of like, oh, everyone's doing it. Yeah. And you're sort of like being, you're sort of like being bullied into doing it on kind of like, a social level socially bullied into sort of oh i'm gonna grow a mustache 
like when Paul McCartney tries to to bully you into having any meat on a Monday by singing uh, yeah. singing a song. What is it? Meat free Mondays. Yeah. Meat free Mondays. <laughs> okay. All right. Meat free Mondays. Say it. Meat. Free Mondays, meet free Mondays. You can do it, yes. <laughs> I'm Paul McCartney. <laughs> I'm I'm Paul McCartney. No, you're not. <laughs> uh, that was on the other day, hard day's night. Anyway, um, tying up loose ends. Yes. Uh, so yeah, but this is the first time I've ever sort of like got into not drinking with the thought that I'm going to give up for, like, a prolonged period of time. Just to see as an experiment, but also, like, maybe it'll be forever. I mean, I don't miss it at all, mm. which is sort of weird. And also, um, I never really drank, you know, you know uh, I go through patches of drinking, but, like, I go through patches of not drinking. Mm. But um, I, don't, I don't really miss it at this stage. But, but because I think psychologically you go, like, oh, I'm not doing this anymore, you kind of like try and fill your time doing other things, and um, and it's difficult to know when to go to bed. Do you know what I mean? Well, what's the when you're drunk? Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you're drunk, it sort of like goes <laughs> bedtime, <laughs> <laughs> and then you know you wake up in a skip. <laughs> but like you can't I go think to that's been a problem. That's been a problem for this whole lockdown as well, right? Is that kind of you don't really have to get up for anything, so there's not that kind of pressure of uh, like having to wake up for work or anything. There's nothing like oh, I have to be up at eight, I have to be up at seven, or anything like that. It's just this kind of. I mean, I'm, I try and have as much of a routine as possible, but I found in this last bit of lockdown that's probably slipped more than it has done. I like to try and have things have as much normal days as possible. I'm not someone who's like been sat in uh, not getting out of bed all day or anything like that. You kind of try and be at least sort of present and up and about, even though I've got absolutely nothing to do, so it does seem pointless. But I think yeah, I quite... You do your laundry, though, don't you? You're quite good at doing your laundry. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, not missed. I do laundry every other day. That's my big treat for myself. But now that becomes a big part of my day. It's not something I now do as, like, on top of everything else that I'm in a hurry for. It's almost like... I'll do that tomorrow. That'll be a little, little bit of a day out. I went up to, um, I went up to uh, Marks and Spencer's in Stratford, which is about half an hour's walk from me the other day, uh, so I could do my shopping in an M&S rather than a Tesco. And it felt like I was sort of like um high roller or something. I felt like, oh, no, I'm going to get... And I had a baguette and I had a, a coffee from Pret-a-Manger and it was like a day out. And you go, this is, this is, this is the height of it, isn't it? This is the height of lockdown, this. What a treat I've got. Bought myself a coffee, been to M&S. This is like my big, big day out for the week. Christ. This is life now. I might start drinking again. Uh, that's broken me. Um, no, I think that that's right. It's kind of like finding achievable, achievable goals within the parameters of, I mean... You know, I framed some pictures the other day and then um, I stuck them on my walls uh, the next day. It's given me, like, daily things to do. Yeah. I'm still sorting my flat out from when I moved two years ago. Um, I kind of, like, put all of my kind of DIY stuff on hiatus for a bit. 
Has it been two um, years you've been in that fat? Um, has it been two years since I've been in the fat? Well, one of those years has been entirely in lockdown. Yeah. So, that's, this, that's... so there's, a, there's a whole year that's been bullshit. I think I moved <laughs> maybe March, March wow. or April, um, two years ago in 2019 and uh yeah and one of those years has been kind of like in lockdown so it's kind of like yeah so i'm still sort of like sorting stuff out it's very difficult you know to like drill holes in the wall and not be an expert at drilling holes in a wall and kind of like doing that in i don't know it's like we're all like living in a submarine mm. you know and you have like the airlock hatches which is us getting like food deliveries and you know I don't know, just like physical objects from the outside world into our house. It's kind of like it's like a it's like an operation. So it's 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 all really difficult, especially so if you're renovating your flat at the same time, it's kind of like and by renovating, that's a lofty word. I'm sticking stuff on the walls. But it's still um it's still sort of difficult. But anyway, so that like I've been feeling a lot more positive recently. We're kind of like I think my default setting would be kind of like to be very self-deprecating and to put myself down a lot in public in front of other people and to talk myself down a lot. And I, uh, I've always thought anything else is sort of arrogant. Mm. But actually, there is sort of like a middle ground where you don't have to walk into a room and say, hello, everyone, I'm a piece of shit. Um, you can actually just not, not tell everyone that you're a piece of shit and, uh, and be kind and generous and uh uh not have to be a wanker as well so it's kind of like it's finding that finding that middle ground i don't know if that's to do with um the new year or this light at the end of the tunnel that we're meant to be seeing at some point soon or um you know current events or what but i don't know or maybe it's to do with you know the fact that i'm looking after myself a bit better you know um i like to say stuff about um mental health and self-care and all of that stuff part of the show because I know that the people listening, some people that listen find it helpful. Um, but also I am aware that we haven't mentioned John Carpenter yet and people will be fucking going apeshit. Don't worry about that because even if we don't plan to, we will at some point mention it regardless. We yeah, did even if Halloween, we don't... didn't we? We, we did do Halloween and Mike Myers within about five minutes. <laughs> Oh my God! Oh bloody hell! Oh. Help ourselves. Oh. Cannot help ourselves in 2021. More of the same. More of the oh, same. Oh, he, I thought he was coming out with a new album, but he hasn't. It's a new comic book that he's doing. So, uh, which is fine. Which is fine. But I prefer. Obviously, I prefer listening to his music or watching his films. But uh, his music more these days than his films. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's John Carpenter's news round. Um, <laughs> It's really, I've always found it weird that you've got John Carpenter and Wes Craven, and together they are Wes Carpenter and John Craven. <laughs> uh, Wes Carpenter isn't a thing, but if you were going to do like a children's news host yeah. character, you could call him Wes Carpenter. And only people of a certain age would really understand where you're coming from. And not only that, people of a certain age, if they were lucky enough to remember John Craven as Newsround, but yeah. also people that are familiar enough with 
<laughs> to work John Carpenter and Red Craven. It's so niche. So niche. Hey guys. <laughs> hey guys. You've you've got to be on your way out of the world uh, to get this joke. That's what we're making. Imagine doing that. A sketch show. Something pitching an idea for a sketch show for BBC Three that's aimed specifically at the over forties. <laughs> oh. Oh well. I had this the other day oh. when they're talking about they're talking about the vaccine rollouts of COVID, and I'll be going, well, you know, I won't get it for for who knows when I'll get it if they're giving it to over eighties now, and then they're already talking about um, over seventies, and they go, yeah, and then probably like in March we'll be looking at the over fifties, and you start thinking, hang on, I'm sort of starting to get a bit more furious because suddenly you go, I'm forty one, I might be getting it quite soon, and you realise that I'm not, I'm not seventeen. I'm going to be like, actually, it's probably not going to be that long. I'll probably have it in April. You know, it's this sort of, um, and it's a, it's the curse of being being older. I feel like um, a young man still who's never going to get it. You think, no, no, I might get it, you know, I might end up getting it fairly soon. But that's the, uh, that's the badly kept secret, isn't it? That you never feel old. Hmm. It's true. You stop. You, you. I think your, 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 your brain maybe stops aging at early twenties, and that's and it. And then your body is just on a slalom that your brain can never catch up to. Talking about that, yeah. I, I don't mind telling you, Nick. I'm in, I'm in pain from my shoulder, which I think I've done by carrying shopping. That, I've, that I was telling sure. Natalie, I wear it on one shoulder of my rucksack because I'm cool from school without thinking that that does just mess, mess your shoulder up. You don't have your both straps on. And so I've been, for the last few days, I've just been taking ibuprofens because my shoulder had so much. And just um, things make me just feel like another, another example of decay. Well, I would just give your shoulder a rest for a couple of days, Matt. That's what I would do. Um, I've got a similar story. But um, instead of shopping, it's been my shoulder. I'm left-handed, and I, I've been getting in agonising pain at night. Where I haven't been able to move my, um, uh, I haven't been able to move my arm. Right, and right. in the night, I'll maybe move my arm, uh, and I'll put it under my pillow to lie on it. But the agony of moving my arm has woken me up at night. Right, and it's this pain that goes from the base of my of my skull all the way down my left arm and down the center of my spine, right? Next to my shoulder blade, right? And I could not work out what it is that I've done to my shoulder you know, to cause this much pain, right? So agony in the day, agony at night, I can't sleep. It's been going on for months. What could it be? You know, lockdown, obviously. So we've been spending a lot of time on our own. Um, so what sort of activities have I been getting up to that has made me uh, pull some sort of muscle in my uh, left hand and shoulder? It turns out that I've been playing Merge Dragons a little bit too much. Right, okay. Okay. Yes. Hours, hours a day. Hours and hours a day. It's not the big movements, like waving at people. Because yeah. I used to do that. I used to do that every day, as you know, and that never. Yeah. Before lockdown, I used to wave at people every day. Now, yeah, um, 
you know, and that never caused me any uh, uh, RSI. Uh, but what it is, is it's the tiny little movements that you make, uh, merging uh, five dragon eggs together to make two dragons. You do that. You do that for it's a it's a, it's a game. Right. It's a game on my iPhone yeah. that I got advertised to me once during a Scrabble game, and uh, and I thought that looked fun, and I start and I downloaded it, and I've been addicted ever since. I'm sorry to say I've spent real money on it. <clears throat> really, how much money? I'm not going to say on the radio. It's just, it's, 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 <laughs> What do you spend? What do you, what do you actually need to spend money on for it? Buy more um, eggs. Dragon eggs and treasure. Treasure, right? Oh, Nick. It's been a long. It's been a long old lockdown, though. And and the thing is, it's a never-ending game, Merge Dragons. It's like there's no end to it. Is Every it time you merge get to dragons, and you just merge, merge dragons, merge eggs. Just... Well, if you get three of a kind and you merge them, then it makes something that's slightly better. But if you get five of a kind and merge them, then it creates two, right? So rather than six, you only need five. So merging five of a kind is quite good, and then you get two of whatever it is. And then obviously when you get three, you merge the three, and then that makes something even better. So you just keep merging and merging and merging and merging. Yeah. And you have like, um, it's a floating island um, uh, that's covered in clouds and every time you get, score enough points you uh, uh, reveal another bit of land uh, and I've revealed all the land now and I thought if I reveal all the land then perhaps there'll be something significant that happens like I've finished a level or I've completed the game but no, it's just never ending so then I thought if I just get the biggest tree that you can merge then maybe that will be like the ending, but no, it's just it's just it just wants more and more and more of your time and your effort, and uh, and you and um, well, you don't have to spend money, but it helps it helps rattle things along. But I realise what an incredible waste of uh... oh god, it's time for a song. Okay, let's play a song. <laughs> and we're back. We are back. Uh, and very jaunty one from old uh, Alice Cooper. Sort yeah, of. I think he's. I think he's sort of. Um, it's uh, the video is slightly tongue in cheek, but you go, you meant that, didn't you? You meant. I think. I think he meant it. It's a cover version. It's off of his. Sorry, I'm just opening something. It's um. It's a cover version. It's off of his new uh, upcoming album. When's it coming out? It's coming out in February. What Detroit stories? And I think he's basically doing cover versions of lots of Detroit-based bands. Who's that by then originally? Do you know? I don't know. I can't remember. Um, but um, it it is what it is. Um, <laughs> so, uh, what uh, one thing that I wanted to mention before lockdown, uh, before lockdown, before Christmas felt like lockdown, didn't it, guys? <clears throat> was that I saw Highlander again, right? Oh, yeah. When was Highlander made? 1986? Hmm, I think so. Uh, it's a really unusual film because um, 
I love everything about Highlander. I like uh, the swords. I like the cast. Mm -hmm. I like uh, the basic um, story. I like the iconography. I like the soundtrack. The only thing I don't like is the film. <laughs> you know. Um, but the series is sort of like a nice idea. I think it's a really good idea. Yeah. When you talk about like re when you talk about remakes, I think that there is room in this world to do a really sort of like well thought out, well made, not even like mega budget, but just sort of like a film. Um, uh, like a, like I think that you could do like a remake of uh, the Highlander series, um, but the actual films that you have. Well, I only watched the first one. Um, Second one, like I remember, like it feels like Highlander is one of those films now which is rubbish. It just doesn't appeal to me as something like oh, I should. Watch. And yeah, I remember really enjoying it growing up. Um, I also remember watching the second one and the second one being pretty much terrible from like the opening crawl where it explains where they've all come from and they're basically aliens. Mm. You go, immediately you go, what? Huh? And it sort of like it completely sort of changes what, what you think about the first one and the film hasn't even started yet. So it's kind of annoying before it's even happened and they're from a planet called Yeast or something. And it's like... Oh. Zeist. Yeist. Zeist. Zeist, that's it. It's like, mm. come on, I don't need any of this. And immediately yeah. you're like out of it. But that's because the original wasn't a big hit. It was sort of like a low-budget um, uh, underground hit. It was like a cult film. Okay. And when they, got the when they got the sequel, the production company were like, well, you've got to explain where they've come from. So they said, oh, they're from space. But then it's actually really difficult to get that version of it. I think Russell Mulcahy, is that his name? Mm, so bit, yeah, Russell. The director. Is it, did, okay. did he do Highlander? Right, okay, Mulcahy. He did uh, Highlander and he did The Blob, didn't he? Yeah, he came from music videos, I think. He, that was one of the big sort of first music video directors. I, you can absolutely tell from Highlander that um, he uses the fisheye lens. He, you know, did we talk about this or not? No, I definitely not. Not heard just about this. So he, there's so many scenes. Like there's a battle scene when they're on the when they're on the uh, highlands of Scotland uh, in medieval uh, Scotland, uh, having this huge medieval fight, and he uses like this fisheye lens that makes it look ultra modern. And I think that it's kind of like um, like it's a really sort of like confusing because because like I said, like the idea is really really clear it's like it's about these immortals that have to fight with each other um over over centuries and then there'll be like one left and uh, uh, and they inherit kind of like this magical power right okay right i get that that's fairly straightforward but the way it's done is kind of in such like a baffling way and the stylistic choices are so sort of like literally of that day of the month of that year that it's sort of like it's it, it, visually it's dated very badly, so it feels like a nineteen a mid nineteen eighties music video a lot of the time, and um, and it's set over centuries and centuries. But basically, there's uh, there's only like four time periods that they that they show you. So they show you uh, medieval Scotland, 
they show you uh, like Regency period France. It might not even be France, but he has sort of like a jewel. Uh, they show you uh, uh, the Second World War, and then they show you 1980s New York, right? So it spans over kind of like time and space over all these years. Um, and you go, right, well, there's a budget restraint. So the, so the Nazi, um, uh, the Nazi um, Germany World War II sequence where he saves a little girl, that is basically filmed in kind of like the Docklands. And they've got a tank. It's like a fairly small looking tank as well. And they've obviously got some costumes and they've got f three or four actors and then they've gone, right, this is the World War II sequence. And you kind of like remember the World War II sequence as being much bigger, but it's like it's done on a real like micro budget. So that's really interesting. Because you did know, it on the sets that Kubrick did Full Metal Jacket. That was all in the documentary. Well, it looks, but that's, that's why I thought of it, because it looks like it's kind of like a similar thing. It's, it's like covered in rubble, and it looks like it's kind of like basically it's a building site or a place that's been developed. Um, and they've, they've used it. As kind of like um, uh, they've they, they they haven't purpose built it. They've kind of like used whatever they had. Um, and the and the Regency thing is it's all set out. I think maybe you see like a like a estate in the background and they're in costume. And there's like an again there's like four actors that are all in costume. And there's sort of like a sketch that they do where he's in a duel and he keeps getting shot, but he or stabbed and he doesn't die. You go ha 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 ha. Uh, and then they've spent all of the money maybe on the um, medieval sequences because they've got like a castle and uh, they've got Sean Connery. Uh, and Sean Connery is in the film for maybe seven minutes, but they use his, his voiceover at the beginning and voiceover at the end. And then he's in seven minutes in the middle. And because of the voiceover at the beginning and the end, it makes you feel like he's in the entire film. Yeah. But I he's not. He's not. He's in it for like a very short amount of time right in the middle. Like it would have taken him less than a week to film it. Um, it's just weird that you've got Sean Connery in a film called Highlander where he plays uh, a Spanish Egyptian. And he's talking to a Frenchman who can't do a Scottish accent. You, do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, and I really love Christopher Lambert, but, um, but uh, and I think Sean Connery is really great in it. And he really does elevate the film when he's on it. But it's kind of, it's it, it, like a lot of the choices are kind of like baffling. And um, uh, Clancy Brown is like really good in it. He's, but he's, he's really good in it, but he's decided to do this voice, which is actually really annoying to listen to. Um, <laughs> it's just like this really, really crazy film. And then when you look at it, you go, oh, do you know what this is? This is a film that um, is directly a result of Terminator. So Terminator was 1984. And it was this cyberpunk thriller that they made. It was a low-budget science fiction cyberpunk thriller about a guy, two guys that travel through time and then have to fight in the modern-day world. And there's this romantic love interest that's thrown in there. And Highlander is exactly the same. But instead of coming from the future, he's travelled uh, from the past through time. And he has to have this kind of like duel in present-day New York or Los Angeles if it's Terminator where there's these two guys that have to find each other across this kind of um, cyberpunk, rain-soaked kind of, um, uh, uh, what's it called, tech-noir uh, in present-day America. Um, 
And it's kind of like you go, oh, right, Highlander, it's got its own mythology, but it's basically, it's a Terminator yeah. ripoff. I guess I've never... does, it does have its, its own, yeah, that it establishes that idea about its own mythology really well. But that's what actually sticks with you, almost like the proof of concept rather than the film. It's almost like that's a good idea for a, a film, but it's, it's probably not that film. <laughs> no, it's it, well, I th- exactly. It's kind of like the mythology is kind of like, and also those little snapshots that they do of him traveling through time and Sean Connery, it all sticks with you like it's kind of like a large part of the film. But when you watch the film, the, I would say maybe 30% of the film is this cop movie where there are these detectives that are hunting down uh, Connor McLeod. Um, and it's the guy that played um, uh, George Kennedy's part in uh, Police Squad. So George Kennedy went on to do Naked Gun, but his part was played by a different actor in the TV right. series. And that's the guy that's in Highlander. And he's in all of these scenes in Highlander um, where he's sort of like solving this case. And then uh, uh, the the woman in Highlander, she's... Uh, trying to hunt down Connor and she's sort of like always oh, hanging around the police station and stealing bits of evidence and stuff like that. And then um, there's this guy that uh, uh, confronts the the Kurgan. Is that his name? The Kurgan yeah, or the Kurgan? The Kurgan, uh, which is Clancy Brown. He confronts him. He's like this uh, military arms fanatic that confronts the Kurgan in present day America and present-day New York, he gets into a fight with him, he gets beaten up, he gets hospitalised. Then the cop goes round and he says, so is this the guy that... And he holds up a picture of Christopher Lambert, and he goes, is this the guy that you saw? And the guy goes, no, it's a different guy, it's a much bigger guy. And then that is the end of the cop story. They don't follow it up. It's like, it just ends. So you're following this cop story all the way through this Highlander movie, and then at one point they just decide... uh, well. like either they ran out of budget or um, they've basically used whatever footage they they managed to film while they were making. It's obviously low budget, which is amazing that it stuck around in people's memories. Wow. It's, like it's, it's, it's like this low budget movie that spawns not just another three or four films, but also a TV series, a cartoon series, uh, a huge soundtrack. People remember it. People keep talking about there's going to be a remake and they're going to reboot it. You know, um, it's really stuck around in people's memories. It originated with this really low budget film that feels a lot like they were just scraping together whatever material that they managed to film and try and make a film out of it to the point where there was huge plot threads that are just absolutely dropped out of nowhere. And they and but you're following the film, so you go if you cut that out of the film, the film would be an hour but you obviously wouldn't have had a whole film, so you've had to include it. It's kind of it's kind of really crazy. It's really interesting watching it again because I'm sort of like writing stuff at the moment and I'm thinking, you know, what's possible with the budget that you are doing? It's kind of like, well, if you've got the right costumes and you find the right location, then you can pretty much film anything. Maybe yeah. not by today's standards. Maybe not by today's standards. If you look at something like Highlander, they obviously didn't have the budget to do what they really wanted to do, and maybe even the experience, because you'd have thought if you filmed the battle sequences like classically, like like an epic, but the modern stuff kind of like with more music video kind of aesthetics, then you do it. But when you mix it all up, it kind of 
makes it really confusing. Anyway, haven't seen Highlander in a really long time. Um, it's, it's just this crazy film that you can't say it's good, but at the same time, it 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 does more than be good. It sticks with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is is Russell Mulcahy is also? I think he did The Shadow, didn't he as well? I, he did one of those. It was either The Shadow or The Phantom or um, one of those early kind of nineties uh, Dick Tracy spin-off things. Mm. It felt like he came along with that, and he's obviously, I guess, for a time, seen as quite a kind of up-and-coming director, and then just didn't really, didn't really go anywhere. He didn't do the relic, did he? The relic. Is the... that just because Penelope Ann Miller's in it? And um, I can't picture what the relic in... is now. What was the relic? The relic was the, it was he did the shadow. He did the shadow. Uh, Penelope oh. Ann Miller. She was in. Um, yeah, she was in The Shadow and she was in The Relic. The Relic was set in a museum where they find this monster, this Stan Winston monster that kind of... Oh, I don't uh, think we saw that. She's also in Carly yeah, Cox's face, isn't she? And, uh, is she in Nowhere Could to Run? Cop. Is she in that? The, Nowhere the... to Run. No, that's, um, that's one of the Arquettes. Isn't that Rosanna Arquette? Hmm. Um, so he did... Derek and Clive get the horn. Oh, Razorback, yeah. Highlander, Highlander Two: The Quickening, Ricochet, Ricochet. That's that um, Denzel Washington film, right? I think so. Blue Ice is that Michael Caine? Blue Ice. Yeah, I think it is Michael Caine. Uh, the Shadow, Silent Trigger. Oh, the and then Mar Tale of the Mummy, Resurrection, Swimming Upstream, Resident Evil Extinction. Scorpion King 2, Rise of a Warrior, director video. Give Him Hell, Malone. That's um, Tom, Thomas Jane, right? All uh, right. And then in, and in Like Flynn. And I always thought Thomas Jane looks exactly like Christopher Lambert. I also think, have you ever seen that film Night Moves he does? It's Christopher Lambert, but he's putting on an American accent. And Christopher Lambert's kind of um, almost like French tones coming through whilst attempting an American accent makes him sound exactly like Vincent Price. It's quite odd. He's got this sort of very odd really? voice. Well, he does have a really odd voice. I like his voice. Mm. Um, I like Christopher Lambert. I've got like a stack of DVDs that I haven't watched yet, and on top of it is Subway, which is the Luke Besson film. Oh, yeah. Isabella Jeannie, Ajani, and uh, Christophe, Christophe Lambert, Christophe. filmed by Luke Besson. Haven't seen it. So that's on my list. Uh, I also take the film uh, Gideon, where he plays um, uh, a man with learning disabilities that teaches uh, a town uh, how to be better people. I'm assuming, based on what little blurb I've read, um, I, 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 I taped it two months ago and I haven't got around to watching it yet. Um, so, yeah, there you go. That's what I, that was my thought. Those were my thoughts on um, on Highlander. It was just, it was just. I've never thought about it in the same bracket as Terminator, but because I guess Terminator Two eclipsed no, I think it. It sounds totally plausible. Yeah, I haven't thought about it. It's a film that I often think about Highlander, just because almost that it's weird that I've never returned to it or I don't have that interest. Maybe you kind of know at the back of your mind that maybe it's not, maybe it's not going to be up to much. Sort of feels mm. like that, doesn't it? It's going to, it will have dated bad. Well, the reason, the reason we watched it in the first place was because we were talking about um, 
queen. Oh, right. And um, there's a misconception that Who Wants to Live Forever was written by Eddie, uh, Eddie Murphy. <laughs> uh, Who Wants to Live Forever was written by Freddie Mercury towards the end of his life, and it's a very poignant, sad song. And then the mind-blowing thing is you go, no, it's from the Highlander soundtrack about uh, a Frenchman playing a Scotsman who gets trained by a Scotsman playing a Spanish-Egyptian. <laughs> And he lives forever. And uh, he sings the song. He doesn't sing the song, but you get the feeling that his character is basically singing the song. He sings the song, Who Wants to he Live Forever? The song in his head. And Freddie Mercury, in it's Freddie Mercury's voice. In Eddie Murphy's voice. In Eddie Murphy's voice, yeah. <laughs> uh, Eddie Murphy is singing, Who Wants to Live Forever? on the, on the Highlander soundtrack. I'd like it's to a hear beautiful it. Moment. It's a beautiful moment. Um, uh, if, if Natalie is getting upset, I'm literally just stacking my uh, laptop onto um, DVD so that I've got so it's a bit higher. If you want to use the video, you don't have to use all my um, double chins and all that. Anyway, so um, uh, I haven't really been a fan of loads uh, this year. Um, no, not this year. I haven't really got through loads. Did watch the original Star Wars trilogy again. Oh, yeah. And you watched all of The Mandalorian or the first series you've done? I watched the first series of The Mandalorian. That's all I've seen. Uh, watched the first series of Mandalorian, stopped, watched the original trilogy again. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I'm going to get around to watching the second season soon. Yeah, uh, I'm sure I'll get, yeah. I'll get your Disney Pluses or something at some point. At the minute, I always just like, say, I feel like I've got loads to watch already. Don't need more things to watch. No, but there's not really that much on Disney Plus, is there? Mm. I mean, I'm not there for Marvel. Although WandaVision has just started. Are you going to watch that? I will when I get it. I'm sure I'll get it at some point. Or I might get it for a month and watch the things I want to watch and then not keep it. I don't know. I'll see. I'll see. I mean, I'm trying to... I've got so much that, like stuff that I kind of... Like, my interest just keeps growing... And I'll just go from one thing to another. And I feel like this year I've already seen tons of stuff. Just kind of, but nothing terribly like exciting. Just almost like I've been watching volume of stuff. Like, right, it's in that, it's in that. Yeah, I'm. I'm basically just trying to watch a film a day, which has resulted in me watching Robin Hood Men in Tights yesterday. <laughs> and, and for so I can't even remember why I wanted to see Robin Hood Men in Tights. But because of my uh, internet connection, uh, it took me two days to download an hour and 40 movie. Um, and, and the film that it was was Robin Hood Many Types. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like I have, I would say, I've, I've, uh, I've made Coca-Cola ham in left time, you know. Um, Robin Hood Men in Tights, it's just, well... It's absolutely. It's just a. It's it's rubbish, isn't it? It's yeah. like it's not funny. It's just it's not funny. I um, never liked. Really it. I felt like it had a bit of a renaissance. Like later on, I felt people were like would talk about it in kind of elevated terms. But I always remembered it being pretty dreadful. And I can. Yeah, I think I. I remember there being a clip on Clive Anderson uh, of the bit when he meets Little John, and I found that funny. 
And then when I saw the film, it was dreadful. I can only imagine that it was like, for people that rented it out from the video shop when they were three, and they have fond memories of it, and they have yet to kind of like confront their own nostalgia, you know? I think that's probably a bit of it. Because that's, that's, that's the only thing that I can, because I watched it yesterday and it's just, it's, it's not funny. Um, uh, it's, but, it's, but it's rubbish. Yeah, and it's weird because he did. So he did, like a couple of years after that, he did Dracula Dead and Loving It. Right. So he did Robin Hood and he did Dracula, which are both characters that are out of copyright, right? Mm -hmm. But they're also both characters that had had a big budget Hollywood movie two years before. Sure. Right. So there was Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, and then there was Kevin Costner's Robin Hood: Prince of Thieves. Right. And when you watch those films, uh, Mel Brooks's Robin Hood Men in Tights is 80% based on Errol Flynn's 1930s Robin Hood, with a couple of jokes at the expense of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, but it's basically yes. taking the Robin Hood blueprint from the 30s and, and doing that. And when you look at Dracula Dead and Love in it, it's 80% the Bela Lugosi Dracula, with a couple of little nods at uh, Francis Ford Coppola's. But it's not based on Francis Ford Coppola's. So uh, he's taken this out-of-copyright character and kind of done like this modern, you know, he's done like a contemporary kind of like piss take of it based on the fact that there was a popular film that was a year before. Yeah, I mean, kind like, of like, like, I'm sure like Dead and Loving It as well was probably a result of people going... Oh wow! Well, we love Young Frankenstein, so this will probably be like another one of them, and just not not that, not that. So that's what I find confusing about it because I don't think that that's the case. I think the case is that he did Robin Hood and then he did Dracula, and they were both big hits. And he did because his approach to um, Young Frankenstein is, I will do a sequel to Frankenstein. I will come up with my own sort of story. And through my own story, I will play with the conventions of the Frankenstein story. I'll retell loads of it. Yeah, sure. But it's kind of like a new story that Gene Wilder kind of like wrote, yeah. you know. But with Dracula Dead and Loving It, he's literally, there are whole scenes in that where he's literally just telling the Dracula story without there being any jokes in it. It's like, it's almost like a straight retelling with kind of bits in it. I was, I was when I was watching Robin Hood uh, Men in Tights, I was just like going, it's not like they've taken a sequence like um, like the archery sequence, which isn't in the Kevin Costner film anyway, but the archery sequence when he enters an archery contest. It's not like they've taken that and given it a twist. Um, aside from some jokes that he's added into it, he still enters an archery contest and he still wins, right? So it doesn't change the story. He yeah. hasn't changed anything about it. It just works from beginning to end as a retelling of Robin Hood with jokes in it. There's one joke at the end where they go, oh, this is the uh, this is the sword fight scene, right? Where they're kind of like acknowledging the fact that this is the scene in the Robin Hood movie where they do a sword fight. And if any of the other rest of the film had been as sort of like, we're making fun of the conventions of what happens in a Robin Hood film, yeah, you'd go, right, this, this, I see. But it's kind of like this bit at the end. There's this one bit where they go, oh, does Robin get another go at this archery contest? Does he get another go? And then Carrie always gets his script out and he can, you know, he looks at the script and goes, oh, yeah, I get another go. 
and then everyone in the cast gets out their scripts and they look and they go, and it goes on for about a minute and you just like go what is who's this for because it's so it's so labor it's like it's so labored and dragged it's just yeah. it's it's crazy and also you go carrie elwes is literally only in this film because uh mel brooks had seen princess bride and he'd gone right he'll be like a robin hood character just as you know, I remember interviews when Dracula came out and he was like going, oh, I, we thought we'd cast Les Nielsen because he's, who would be the most perfect Dracula? And you go, well, it's not Les Nielsen, is it? You've booked yeah. him because he's... He's the guy he's the, now. He does the kind he's of... The guy that does, he's the guy that does spoof movies, right? So you've booked him because he's the number one spoof actor, Les Nielsen. But you've written Dracula to be kind of like intelligent and he's like yeah. the guy that's rocking his eyes at everyone else that's fucking everything up. Harry Elwes is in Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. They made sense to put him back in that. Should have put... I mean, it was crazy. Anyway, we've got to do fan mail now, but um, uh, I'd love to hear what you've been up to for the last month and a half, Nat, but we haven't got time. <laughs> I've talked for an hour. Um, it's right. not fan mail either. This is These are reviews. iTunes reviews again. Are we doing iTunes reviews, are we? Okay. Fine. Okay. Right. Here we go. Oh, <laughs> it's me, Brian Johnson. I've come out of the cellar. Anyway, here I am. Five stars. Great show. Nick and Nathaniel are truly engaging to listen to us. They discuss the films, TV shows, and music that we all grew up on the, in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. They are two stars, and put together, their show is a solid five stars. Oh. Erico Suave 007 via Apple Podcast Canada. Thank you. There you go. Five stars. I'm sorry I didn't find this podcast online radio show sooner, but at least I've got over 100 to binge listen to. This has made me actually laugh out loud several times, and this is an achievement. It is yeah, over something episodes to laugh out loud several times over, what's that? What, 200, 300 hours of entertainment? That's certainly a good, good ratio. Good race. That's fine. It's Five good. stars. Where are you? Is it no more fun club? It's been ages since the last episode. Please tell me it's not finished. It's um, not finished. It's on now. The pot smoker via Apple Podcast. Can I just uh, wind your fucking neck in? All right. <laughs> we are entitled to a fucking Christmas holiday as well as anyone else fucking is. We're not getting paid enough to fucking work all the way through the fucking... I mean, by all means, you know, it's just this fucking attitude that makes me want to take even more time off, yeah? All right, so go and fuck yourself. It's always about you, 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 isn't it? What about what about me? And to a lesser extent, Nat. So, um, let's, uh, let's play a song. Yes. And get our... Uh, and get our get our guest on. Right, brilliant. Right. Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on Fubar Radio. All of a sudden, we're back, and uh, my cameras aren't working. I can't see anyone, but now I can see people. Uh, we're back. We've just been uh, uh, we've just been listening to uh, what have we been listening to, Nathaniel? We've been listening to Nirvana. Nirvana you know, you're right. Awesome track. And, and that is an awesome track, uh, says the man himself. Uh, oh, been chosen superb. By, by our next guest. <laughs> Uh, Dave McLean, uh, how you doing? You all right? 
Bloody marvellous, mate. I, I watched you two on YouTube today. I checked out some of your stuff, you know. Um, you at the Apollo. And, um, sorry, get the names right here. Um, uh, Nat at the um, uh, some comedy club or something. It's hilarious, so like the two of you. It's really made me laugh. I had a really good laugh. I did a little bit of research. It was really good, you know. That's nice, really nice, nice because um, I would say once, once every episode, uh, we actually get to a point with our guests where we have to tell them who we are. Uh, so it's really <laughs> no, no, no seriously, out a lot of awkwardness. I honestly, I watched it and I thought the the bit that you at the Frankie Boyle or whatever it is, the you know, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the royal family thing, that was obviously pre-COVID because you were giving it big licks on the singing the fancy pants and writing the girl's face like you know. So I so thought that was obviously pre-COVID because the there'd be a lot of stuff going on there, like you know what I mean. So well, that yes. was a bit dodgy. And a, um, lot of, <laughs> a, a lot of stuff on YouTube is pre-COVID. Um, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That was the Boyle Variety performance from 2012, right? Is that as long ago as that, right? Yeah, okay. See, but it's, it's interesting that you say that, right? What was I watching? I was watching something last night. It might have just been telly. And I always find um, whenever I see someone sort of like hugging or like there's a crowd of people on TV. Yeah, so I do. Like, it's, it's odd, right? It's weird how quickly that's happened. It's, we've only been doing this a year, but you can watch something from the 80s um, yeah. I, I remember what it was. I saw. I, wa I watched the film Mannequin from 1986, starring Andrew McCarthy. I kind of remember the title. Yeah. But like, there's people hugging and there's crowd scenes, and you're watching something oh, yeah. played in the air. And psychologically, you're going, "What are you doing, guys? Get away from each other." Yeah. Get your mask on. You know, six feet distance and all that. And I watched Nat and his his thing at a little comedy club, and and you were on about the um, what was it? Kind of cracked me up actually. Um, the, the media studies thing you did and um, what's a volcano and all that. So, I mean, it was like, yeah, really yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, it was really, really funny. But it was, it's funny <laughs> because I, I watched um, um, Nick at the Apollo. There were obviously thousands of people there. Yeah, and then right. I watched your club, which was really small. Sure. But it was really good to hear the audience. Like, even though it's a small audience, you're getting a really great reaction. And that really cracked me up. And because I only really watched this one comedian guy, this Indian boy, I always forget what his name is, but the guy with the beard, he just makes me laugh. I don't know what his name is, a young boy. But so I didn't really watch much comedy. I watched Frankie Boyle a little bit. So now I'll watch you guys. So anyway, that's it. So, oh, thank you. I did my research. I did my research. All right. It's much better to do uh, small crowds anyway, I think. Um, that... Uh, Thousands of people at the... <laughs> well, people well not if you're the promoter. You want big crowds if you're doing a gig, obviously. But, you know, I mean, the yeah, bigger the crowd, like the more the money, you know. But I like the intimate feel as you're, you're probably getting to, like, you know, That's the comedy club thing. That's basically what your film's about, isn't it? It's, um, so your new film is Schemers, or your, your new film. It's your first film. And yeah. Your yeah. first <laughs> film. And it's basically, you have written... And directed an autobiographical film. Yeah, I, 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 I sort of kind of hate that thing because I did an interview the other night there, and the, this guy said, "I love the film. The film's great and all that." And he says, "You must be really disappointed when people call it a vanity film." And I say, "Yeah, well, I am really because what can you do? Like, if nobody else is going to make the film, if you, if you produce it, you write it, you direct it, and you get the music for it, yeah." 
you can't say somebody else did it. You have to put your name there. You know, I didn't want to put my name on things. And he said, oh, no, like, I know what you mean. Like, I know what you mean. But I, I, I just read a review where it said vanity film. And I said, yeah, that always pisses me off. Like, because it's not that. It's just it is what it is, like, you know. It does sort of, it has that feel of like a kind of, it's kind of like a sort of mainstream kind of feel-good movie, though, isn't it? It feels like yeah. very much in the kind of, that you kind of get a lot in this country, I think. You get a lot of that. Um, they tend to have really good soundtracks. They're very feel-good. They're often kind of yeah. age films. But it does seem to yeah. be that you've managed to make a film like that, which is also autobiographical. Yeah, well, well, if you knew the behind-the-scenes thing that went on, you, you, you'd be amazed it ever got made in the first place. But um, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's like you guys with your comedy scripts or when you do a show or something. I mean, you'll always come off and go, oh, fuck, that could have been better. I could have done that better. I wish I'd done that, this, that. And it's like me with that film. It could have been, you know, twice as good if I'd got rid of people earlier on and got the right team on it. But, you know, that's what it is. So I worked it okay, you know. Sure, but for for a first film, it's like very accomplished, isn't it? But you're like, what was your background then, sir? Because it feels like you must have that confidence to have made a film at that. Nothing, zero, absolutely zero, nothing. It's just like, but because it's autobiographical or whatever the expression is, you just turn up in the day and the actors will say to you, Dave, what would happen there? I'd say, well, this is what happened, like you know. So if that's direct, then that's direct. Well, <laughs> what would you have done here? And how did that look? And just say, well, it was really weird, actually, because this all happened and this all happened. And so that's just what you say. It's not like, wow, rocket science, is it? Like, you know, to be honest with you. And then you've got a great cameraman who just points it and does his thing. And you've got great actors. And then you get a good soundtrack. And then, boom, you're off, you know? You've made a film. That's it, really. um, Were you in the edit a lot? Or did you kind of find Oh, no, that, that, oh yeah. No. The guy doing the edit, Khaled Spiwak, he was at my house in Broughty Ferry in Dundee for about... Oh, he was only there about five, six weeks, and he was watching it, like, non-stop. Because we'd done two shoots, the first shoot was in summer and the second shoot was in winter, but nobody really knew that. So in, in summer it was, like, 80 degrees, and in winter it was, like, minus five in Dundee, right? But at least it was sunny. So we had two shoots and uh, two different sets of people working on it. So Khaled had 48 hours, get this, of film, right? 48 hours, of which he watched over and over and over and over again. And he really made the film because the first cut we had was like, that's in the bin, get rid of that, see you later, right? You know? And then I got this guy, Khaled, who said, right, oh, there's a film here. But we, need, we had to write 14 new scenes, get rid of a few actors, I flew him to Bangkok, we wrote the new scenes and we went back and did it. So, yeah, I mean, I had nothing to do with the edit bar. He would say, what do you think of this, what do you think of that? But it was really him that did the edit. You know? Oh, wow. So so when you saw that initial cut, what, how did you feel? Were you, like, shitting yourself and panicking? And, or... No, like, I kind of knew it was in the post, like, you know, because we, we'd had a few problems on the shoot. And I, I was thinking, this is not going to work. This is just not going to happen, like, you know. But we had it all booked for six weeks, and we got it, and we waited ages on the first edit. And the the, the first, is that what you call it, the first edit or something? Right? So it came round, and uh, I watched it, and um, I contemplated jumping off the Tay Road Bridge, which is quite famous <laughs> for suicides. And I was kind of thinking, yeah, I could have a wander along there and just wait myself down and jump off, or uh, do it again. 
I just keep rescue what's there and do it again with some other people. So we just kind of sure. got Al and the, the DOP guy. To, I'm getting really good with these terms, like DOP, director of photography. He said, Dave, you should get this guy Khaled. He's a great editor. So we got Khaled. And then, like you say, we, we ditched a couple of actors, rewrote the scenes, came back to Dundee, shot it, and we, we made the best of um, well, well, we made the best of it, really, to be honest with you. So that was it. So with that edit, did you uh, did you like go through it and work out what you could save and what you could kind of like uh, adapt with extra shooting? Yeah, it was really annoying because we had to drop. You know all this stuff. That, like people talk about continuity and all that, right? There was great scenes we had shot that because you know basic fuck ups on other things. We had to drop these scenes for the continuity and the new script that we did, you know. And there were some great scenes that never made it, which really is annoying. But it's the same for everybody that makes a film. They'll always say, oh, it could have been better, or a band doing an album, oh, it could have been better, or we did a show, it could have been better. So it just is what it is like, you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with it, but I could always be happier, you know. Where are you, where are you now? Where, are you in Bangkok now or in Dundee now? <laughs> Bangkok, Bangkok, the city that never sleeps. It is actually sleeping now because it's uh, COVID. So, <laughs> so it's it's not quite as lively as usual. So it, it's and ten is that fifteen. Where you're based most of the time, then in Bangkok. Yeah, yeah. I've been here seventeen years, but I, I, I kind of I used to come back to the UK maybe eight times a year, just back like a bus, like back and forward all the time. But now I kind of get back. Because, well, I've been back twice this year. It was very difficult, though. It was like, you know, flying to Mars or something, you know, the, the kind of the, the stuff you need to go through to get there and get, you know, land and whatever. So, yeah, I've not been back for a while, but, um, yeah, I've been here a long time. When, whenabouts was the film shot? How long ago? Well, it was like, uh, well, I had hair when it was shot, which is quite a long time ago. Uh, so it started in May 2017, Oh, wow. I finished in uh, January 2019, because then we went to the Edinburgh Festival. So it was all kind of, it seems a long time, but is this because there was a few hiccups along the way? I mean, it could have been, I mean, the next film will take six weeks, bang, that'll be done, you know, it'll be easy. Are you, are you planning on making another film then? Well, basically, I've got five ready to roll, right? But the next one's a sequel when I go to London with my mate Scott, who's in the film. And uh, Scott goes on to... If you ever Google Scott Young, you should Google Scott Young if you're looking at your phone just now. He's uh, in the movie, the original movie. And he goes on to to basically... He's, he's, he's known as a man who loses £400 million, right? You just have to look at Google it in, right? So me and him share a flat for two years in Hammersmith. And he's doing his thing, and I'm doing my thing. And we, we go, yeah, we're kind of still mates, but we're doing different things. And it's really exciting because, uh, you know, the soundtrack is awesome because all the bands we're doing are, like, off the scale. And then he's getting into all sorts of mischief and whatever. So uh, it's, it's a good film. It's, it's pretty rock and roll. But it's funny because I go to London thinking I'm going to conquer the music business. Right? I said, easy, I've done it in Dundee. London's nothing, it'll be a doddle. Take me a month, like, you know. So I get there and I kind of get a job. And I end up getting a job in Walthamstow uh, Assembly Hall. And um, I'm the <laughs> entertainment's assistant, right? So I've just done Iron Maiden and Simple Minds and Ultravox and The Cure and all that. So 
then I find myself doing the bingo and announcing <laughs> Keith Harris and Orville the Duck, Rod, Rod Hull and Emu, Little and Large, Cannon and Ball, you know, all that. It's like, oh, the dream. What happened to the dream, like, you know? <laughs> so, I, anyway, I got sucked from that. And because um, I tried to do a reggae festival in Walthamstow and I got the bullet, like, you know, so that was that. So I got sucked from loads of jobs until I started my own company. So that was it. So, what are you, how do you feel about the release of the movie coming out at this time? Or were you disappointed that it's kind of come out? During COVID no, and it's gonna... no, I was I was kind of ecstatic really because um, hardly any movies came out and it went in number one. What was it funny? It went in number one new release box office, but there was only about 40, 50 new releases. But you know, it still went number one though, which is good. And it was top ten grossing movie that week, right? And it was at two hundred and fifty-two cinemas, which was like wow. And it got held over in one hundred and eighty, which is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So that was, wow, it's going great. Like, you know, then the next week, everything shot. It was like, oh, well, there you go. But, you know, but it was a good excuse not to do well, though, you know. It was it kind of started <laughs> off good. It was like, oh, it's going great. We could have made millions. But you it know, does but, you feel know. like the kind of movie that would have done really well, right? It does. It sort of has that kind of fairy feel. You could imagine it playing really well, and it's the kind of thing that I think probably got well, made. Well, it's a bit of a, well, a, bit of a Marmite movie, you know. I mean, yeah, I get loads of four, four out of f- four out of fives, and eight out of tens, and loads of two out of fives, and three out of tens. Oh, really? So it doesn't really matter. So it's, it's like my bands always say, like, like a placebo, for example. Oh, I could never read the press, you know. It doesn't matter. And actually, funnily enough, it got to the stage where I didn't really bother now, you know, because uh, you know you, you're always going to get somebody that says, "Oh, that was great. It was really good," and I really like the Scottish thing. And then you've got other people who say. But wasn't it Scottish enough? The accents on the right, and you got other people who say, "Oh, wasn't it as good as Train Spot?" And it's like, whatever, like you know, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's just the first of many. You know, it's kind of it's unusual to see a film set in Dundee. I was trying to think if I could think of anything else, and I couldn't bring anything to mind. But it's sort of very nice to see it on screen. So it does feel like a place you just haven't seen. Yeah, well, it's because like Dundee gets a bad rap. It's like known as Mini Chicago. Like they call it Mini Chicago. I remember once I got beat up because um, I, I, I support Dundee United. I went through to Glasgow to see Rangers and Dundee United and I got pulled up by these Rangers fans. They went, a ah, United fan, like, ah, mini Chicago. Eh? You think you're mini Chicago? Bang, stuck the nut on me. like, you know? uh, And that's the first time I'd heard that Dundee was called mini Chicago. And I thought, oh, that's, that's pretty cool, actually. Like, you know? Although I didn't stop and say, thank you, that is pretty cool. Thank you so much for headbutting me. But... Um, no, that, that's Dundee gets a bad rap. It's quite a hard city, but it's, uh, it's good humour. Like, I don't know. I always think of, I mean, I, my sort of image of Dundee is almost, I, I think of the Beano, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the Beano. Dundee, Hotspur, everything. Yeah, yeah. Pure Willie, yeah. It's great because it's got DC Thompson's, it's the big publisher. So they did all the comics Victor, Hotspur, Beano, Dandy, Beezer, Topper, whatever, way before your time. That's when, you know, that, that was my era. Then it went on to their Marvel comics and, you know, Jackie for the girls, you know, that one, and all that stuff, you know. So, yeah. Duke Jam and journalism. That's what it's known for. And now Duke Jam, journalism and junkies, because it's got the highest heroin rate in um, uh, Europe, I believe, So which is unfortunate, but there you go. But uh, that's a problem, you know. It certainly is, yeah. You were, like, um, like, in the film you are promoting bands, and at the time you are... I guess they're new bands at the time, so it is bands like The Cure and XTC 
um, Iron Maiden at the end. Um, what gave you the confidence then to know to book these bands? Nothing, zero. Um, I think it was like, I used to listen to John Peel in an Indian restaurant up the Perth Road. And uh, for, for some strange reason, this Indian guy, you know, in an Indian restaurant, was playing John Peel, but obviously it was to get the students in, right? So I'd, I'd be I'd be sitting there going, "Oh, that's that's good. Is that the only ones or the yachts or XTC or whatever? Oh, that's that's not bad. That, that's a good tune. Which we should try and book them, like you know." So I'll I'll start a bit of the Indian restaurant, really, to be to be fair, and uh, then they'd read the enemy or the sounds or whatever and. For example, when I booked Toya Wilcox, that, I, I, I looked at her in the enemy and thought, she's really fit. I'll really, I'll book her, like, you know. And that, that was on the strength of it, nothing else, to be fair, like, you know. And <laughs> we, we put her on up in Aberdeen. And uh, it was a very kind of haphazard machine gun approach of booking artists, you know. It was kind of a bit hit and miss, to say the least, you know. So you were like Although a- there were some I really liked. I really liked Simple Minds when I had Life in a Day and Chelsea Girl and stuff like that, and The Cure. The, the, the Cure had a track called Killing an Arab, which I doubt would get much airplay these days, but, you know, it was, um, it was, uh, it was big at the time. How, was, how big was the music for you then? Was it, was it more about becoming a promoter or how much was it that you were a kind of music fan? Well, I was never really a music fan. My brother was a big music fan. He was in bands and everything. I was a footballer. I, I really loved football. I wasn't really remotely interested in music. And then I broke my leg and couldn't... That's actually true about the, the football thing. And then... But before that, um, <laughs> my mate at the college said, we need we need new football strips. And I said... And I'd really fancied this girl. And I was always looking at her at the college. He says, why do you not talk to her? And I said, well, I can't talk to her. She's too good looking like, you know. He says, look, I've got an idea. We need new football strips. I says, how's that going to help me? He said, look, we'll do a disco and you sell our tickets. I said, that's genius. That's genius. I'll just go up to her. That's my intro. So I went up to her and uh, her pals were six of them. And I came back and he said, how did it go? I says, brilliant. They're coming. Six of them. He said, that's great. That's 18 quid. Six three is 18. I went, no, they're all on the guest list. So I put them all on the guest list, right? So that was my that was my economics of the whole thing. It was to- totally our solar tip, like, you know. But I just got into it like that. Then we did the disco and made a grand. And uh, we only needed 100 quid for the strips, so we made £900 profit. So I thought, oh, oh, this is good. Let's let's get into the disco scene. So we did that, and we used to pay a DJ 50 quid and make 900 quid. Then we reversed the business model to pay the bar 900 quid and make nothing because it looked better. It looked cooler. Like, you know, it was much more cool to say, I'm promoting St Lizzie this week. I'm promoting the Cure this week rather than I've got the Mickey Muppet Roadshow on this week. You know what I mean? That was it, really. And, it all started, yeah. and then I started to like the music. OK. So, but that was it, because now your whole career's almost been in music, right? So have you, have you got more of a taste for it? Or does it almost help to not be such a big fan to begin with? Oh, no, 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 I really like it. I mean, like, the possibly my only redeeming feature in the music business is... I can tell a good tune, you know. <laughs> I, I can tell a good tune and I can tell a good live band. Uh, and, and, and I really love it. I've really got a passion for the music now, you know. Um, re- really sort of totally changed. Um, like, like, at first it was a bit of a laugh way back in the mists of time. But then I, I really started to do good bands, really good bands. And I, I had a, a good track record, 
a kind of decent arts, you know, very good arts. What have you got? Like a particular band that you're very, pr you know, that that you're proud of booking. Well, obviously Nirvana is the best one. I mean, that that was like the the huge catalyst for uh, everything, um, and we did loads of shows with them. Um, and that, that was just so exciting. And that's how I was asking, when you played that track at the start, you know you're right. If you watch the the live footage that goes along with that track, you'll see the pure excitement, energy, passion, totally mental evenings. It was just like different... Oh, it was just off the scale, you know. It's very hard to replicate that with another band, you know. So that that was good. Um, and then obviously managing Placebo, it, like even managed them 25 years. The last time I saw them was in Milan two years ago. And it was, I always walk around the whole arena and Brian can always see me, the singer. He's, he always sees me from every vantage point, like, you know. And I'm always listening and looking and see what the crowd reaction's like. And they were brilliant. And that was like, I managed them 25 years, and I still think one of the best, they're one of the best bands on the planet, you know? You know, so, yeah, it's, it's, it is a passion. It's good, you know? And you've, and you've got to promote what you like. I mean, I was offered um, many years ago a guy called Ray Cooper, who used to run Virgin Records with um, Paul Conroy and Ashley Newton. <laughs> we were going up to Top of the Pops where NXS were playing and Placebo were playing. And Ray Cooper said to me, I've got this great new band, this great new actor, absolutely awesome, Dave. And he gave me a lift up in his new sports car. They actually called his penis extension. I remember he said, do you want a lift in my penis extension? I went, well, what the fuck's that? He went, well, it's my car. I went, oh, right, it's a car. Right, okay, fair enough. So we jumped in the car and he says, listen to this. What do you think of this? We need a promoter. I went, right, okay. I was so excited. Right, what's coming next? What's coming Tell me what you want, what you really, really want, what you really, really want. But I went, oh, <laughs> he says, what do you think? I says, I was a little cobbler's mate, like, you know. He says, they're going to be massive. They're going to be massive. Do you want to promote them? I went, no. I says, how could you promote the bands we promote and promote that? So, you know, that was, it was like some people say, oh, I could have promoted the Beatles, but I never did them. But, um, yeah, I could have got the Spice Girls, but I never did them. But I didn't really like it, you know. So that was it. So that's when you're, when you're, my chance was gone. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in my t <laughs> sorry, what's that? I was just going to say. So in the so it'd be early nineties when you were kind of promoting Nirvana, but you were kind of promoting a lot of those grunge bands at the time, right? So you were kind of. In that was like Pit, Pearl Jam, Rage Against Machine, Mud Honey, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, uh, loads of them, like you know. You're right. Though. Anything so with. You couldn't do both. You can't do that and then have the space. No, you, no, you can't. I, 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 I mean, you couldn't be serious and say, oh, you know, I mean, the, 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 there's no way you could be talking to, like, Kurt Cobain and uh, Chris Novoselic and Dave Grohl and all that saying, I love your music. It's absolutely awesome. I just feel so excited. And then three weeks later, be backstage with Jerry Halliwell and Posh Spice saying, wow, I'm just... So excited about this, you know what I mean? You'd just be a complete idiot, you know what I mean? You, you couldn't be like the that, only, you know. The only way that you could do that is if uh, you weren't making any money off of your passion projects, and it was kind of like you need to promote the Spice Girls in order to promote Pearl Jam. But if you're doing all right with Pearl Jam, then you don't need to promote the Spice Girls, right? Yeah, well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with them, obviously. They made millions and millions and millions. But um, it's just like, 
And maybe I wouldn't have got them, but Ray said to me that day in the car, we've got a new band, we signed this new band, we need a promoter, we like you. You know, you, what he said, he said something ridiculous like, um, your star is on the right, all that. He used to come up with all these stupid sayings like, your star is on the, on the ascendant, you know what I mean? And uh, th- this would be good for you and it's good to diversify. I mean, it was probably great advice, like, you know, to be fair. Um, but I, I just didn't fancy it, like, because I, I just love the, the Brixton Academies, you know, like 5,000 people, the, the mosh pits, the, the beer getting thrown all over the place, the stage diving and the, just the pure excitement all that. So, you know. Well, exactly. Stop you it. could have ended up being the manager of uh, Keith Harris and Orville as well. Uh, yes, it. yes. Yeah, but then he <laughs> fell off a fell off a roof fitching a satellite. That's Rod Hull, wasn't that. it? Rod Hull. That was, oh, that was, was Rod Hull. I always, get conf- yeah. for, I always get confused with them for some reason. Well, I it must be the the appendage that they carry about with them. Yeah. I'm used to... Both, both yeah. carry a bird on their arm, so it's... That, uh, that's it, that, that carry a bird on their arm. That's a connection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we've, asked, we've asked you, as we do, this is fan club, and we've asked you to come up with some of your favourite things that we're going to talk about. And you've, yeah. you've sent us, kindly sent us, three of your top three films. Was that because you couldn't narrow it down to one? Well, no... Uh... I could not really narrow it down to one because I've seen, as you have, you know, hundreds, thousands of films probably, like, you know, and there's somebody you'll go up and say, oh, you know what, I loved The Killing Fields, that was awesome, that was a fantastic film, like, you know, or I loved um, 40-Year-Old Virgin or something because I, I felt like a bit of a laugh, like, you know, but you, you always go back to the ones that, I used to love these old black and white ones, you know, like a Maltese Falcon and all that. I mean, mm-hmm. I must have seen that 40, 50 times, but I, I could have picked any Humphrey Bogart film. Well, Lauren Bacall, she's, she's the one, uh, Maltese Falcon, obviously. But the, the script, the way they write the script, it's so double entendre, like, you know, the sexual undertones and the, it's mm-hmm. brilliant, like, you know, it's really funny and it's, it's just great, you know? So, uh, you know, I, I definitely couldn't say one film. No, no way I could say one. Could you say one film? Yeah, I think I, I could probably do It's a Wonderful Life is probably my favourite film. But I don't... In a way, I think you're right. I think it's silly to try and pick one because there's so many, really. And I could probably do a top 30 film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's there, there so many. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. Just like on the t- yeah, it's, it's just like on the TV thing you asked, asked me to do. Um, I mean, I mentioned, like, four or five TV things, and I was going to give an honourable mention to Ozark, which is fantastic, you know. I forgot to mention that, you know what I mean? Because that, that's great as well. But but films yeah. are great. There's nothing like going to theatre, getting your... Well, not that I buy popcorn these days because I'm on a bit of a diet. Same with the hot dog. That's at the windy as well. So the Coke, nothing. But, you know, you go in, you get your seat. Du-du-du-du-du. used to be, um, you know, all that path news in the old days. <laughs> and you watch the film, it was great, you know, wow, in the, in the cinema, fantastic, you know. Yeah, Are there great. any films that you think were like an influence for you for schemas? Anything you could no. sort of draw a, a direct correlation to? Gregory's Girl, which is way before your time, because you're too oh, I love that, I love that, maybe. Oh, I know Gregory's Girl, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah. John Gordon Sinclair. Yeah, it was like, I, I kind of thought that was the gentle comedy. And one of my favourite comedians is in it, a guy called Chick Murray, who you probably yeah. never heard of Chick Murray. No, no, but Chick, Chick Murray Records. <laughs> you, you got, honestly, if you've got Chick yeah, Murray, yeah, yeah. Where he, like, like <laughs> where he tells the nose story. Have you heard the nose joke when he yeah, does the nose? <laughs> we have noses on our family. They run a lot, you know, and all that. <laughs> but anyway, so that was great. And there was one line 
and uh, Gregory's going to like, crack me up. It's probably not even funny, but it's when um, they're out in the car and he slams on the brakes and he goes, that's my first emergency stop, by the way. I just thought, it's just the way he says it. It's just <laughs> brilliant. And then he sees um, Gregory on the stairs one day and goes, I know you. You're Gregory. You're my son. We should get together. We should meet for lunch someday. You know, and stuff like that. I thought, oh, that's genius, man. I love that, you know. So I thought if I could be a bit gentle humour like that, that, that'd be really good. And obviously... My mate Ewan Bremner, he he he's an actor. And he's in, he's been in Train Spotting and all that sort of stuff. And obviously, he'd seen Train Spotting, so I thought it'd be good to have not copy it, but um, basically got three three or four guys. You got three guys, so it's got it's always going to be comparisons. So there was always a bit of that in it. And I like stuff like Snatch and um, what was the other one, Lockstock and all that, you know. So. You just pick up bits and bobs, you know, and just, it's just you it, actually, really. I can, you can definitely see all those influences in it. It isn't so much like it's not train spotting. If anything, it is a bit more like train spotting meets Gregory's girl. It's got yeah, a, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, it's a bit more gentle. It's a bit more gentle comedy. That, and there were so many good jokes left out just because of the edit thing. Like it's, it's too complicated to go into. But um, if we, if, we, if we can do this TV series spin-off, which we're talking about, which looks quite promising, that'll be a, a much better way to draw out the characters and get the, you know, the. Well, it's all about drawing out the character and building it and all that sort of stuff, yeah. So there you go. But, yeah, it was good fun. But, but how, aware, how aware are you of these influences when you're sitting down to write it and to direct it and how much of that is retrospective when you look back on it and you go, oh, that's where I got that from? No, it, like, to be honest, when, when I did the script for um, Schemers, it was when the band were on the tour, and, and it was, like, a couple of years of writing an album, there was nothing going on. And um, my business partner says, oh, look, look, you should write a book. I said, it's too difficult to write a book. I said, if you go, like, if you go to Waterstones, you'll see a million books, right? But films, you didn't see that many films, so I'll write a film instead, OK? <laughs> that, that, that was my kind of logic, right? So I went up from Bangkok to Koh Samui and I stayed at my favourite hotel in Koh Samui, the Hansar Hotel. And I worked for 10 days. I only worked f- four hours a day and interspersed with massages, meals and having drinks, right? And I wrote the script in 10 days and then came back and it went round various other people who amended it, changed it, tried to improve it, whatever. And it came back to virtually being the original one I wrote you know, like six months ago or something. So, uh, and it was all just memory. So it's like um, there was never a case of getting up in the morning and going, oh, shit, what am I going to write? What am I going to write? You know, it was like, all right, now that was like, that happened, that happened, that happened, that happened. So there'd maybe be like a couple of hundred stories and it'd be like you're mining for gold or something and you throw in the the thing when you're going, and like maybe five or six will trickle through, like, you know. And then you just develop it on that. So it was just like that, really. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah no. I mean, I always think it's notoriously hard to get stuff made in this country. Did you have tons of problems, or was it something that people picked up on straight away? No, I had... Uh, well, I didn't have tons of problems, because my two mates up in Scotland, uh, John and Ross, they put money into it. And my business partner, Alex, put money into it. And my accountant in the office put money into it. And my doctor, 
who's probably saved my life on at least five occasions to put money into it. So we had five or six investors, just a very close-knit team. And uh, then we just how, made how it. Did you, and then we, how, did you, how did you go about asking your doctor? Oh, well, he's like a mate, like, you know, I, I've known him like 20 years. Um, I mean, if it wasn't for him, I'd probably be six feet under by now. He, he kind of took me back from the brink of a few of kind of severe depressions and OCD and all that sort of shit, like, you know. He was really, really good, and he became a really good friend. And he became an even bigger friend when I got him two tickets for Led Zeppelin at O2. <laughs> um, so, so that, and I could have got 10 grand each for the tickets. So, um so he was great, and it was it was easy to get him on board. So, and he was he's he's been very supportive. So we just got that money, and unfortunately, uh, that money ran out, and I cashed in a, a couple of pensions to do the second shoot, and we did the second shoot. So it was, it, it wasn't um, really hard. I mean, it was. I mean, people rallied round and they kind of supported it, and they're and they've all been quite happy because it'll make money. It's it's going to make its money back, which is very unusual. So that's good. And uh, we'll, we'll crack on to the next one, you know. And and with the soundtrack, it's such a kind of impressive soundtrack, but were you able to get special deals and things because of people you knew? Uh, I wouldn't say... Well, on some bands, yeah. Some bands. Not 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 special deals, but... Um, oh, do you know what? The, the soundtrack's good because it's like most of the bands I promoted or managed or I owned a publishing on or, you know, whatever. So... There was a bit of a special connection there. Uh, but I, I mean, oh, we've got a special deal on Iron Maiden, yeah. I don't think we paid them anything. I mean, I hope, I hope Rob Smallwood agrees with me when he's listening to this. <laughs> but I don't think we actually paid them anything. But, um, but it was, well, we had to pay something. But the, the only thing about the, the movie that I really got pissed off about, I had a clip in it in the, the, the movie that was shown at Edinburgh Film Festival and all the film festivals of Shergar winning the Derby. And I, I don't know if you follow horses, but, you know, you, like, do you know about horse racing? Have you heard of Shergar? Probably I know, not I know the name, yeah. But I'm not yeah. like that. But it was just a great bit when it's going, and Shergar's 5, 10, 15, 20 lengths. You need binoculars to see the next one. Right, well, and Shergar was a great horse. But that was going to cost 20 grand for that clip. And if um, Placebo's tour had happened last year, I was going to pay 20 grand for 15 seconds. But the tour got cancelled, so we lost loads of money, so we, like, we couldn't do it. And the other one was, um, this is way before your time, a guy called David Neri, who plays for Dundee United in Scotland, and he scored that 30-yarder against Brazil in the World Cup. And it was like, Neri, Scotland! But that was another 15 grand, so I had to drop that from the original. But you know, the, <laughs> so just little things. So it's, it's, it's no cheap, you know what I mean? When, st- when you start to get clips... And buy yeah. up little clips of things, like, like iconic clips. It's like, what? You're joking, like, you know? So, anyway, but that is what it is, you know? In the film, you've got your character is kind of, um, he's betting money to get to get his total, he's getting money left, right and centre. Did you find, is that still the way you operate now to then make money to make a film? To try and go, I'll uh, get money here and I'll kind of invest that here and get it, try and yeah, find yeah, up my money or whatever. Yeah, it's funny just now because, I mean, if if Placebo's tour had happened last year, we'd have made a shed load of money on that and I could have used my share on that, but it never happened. So I have to hustle about just now, but luckily I've got I've got a lot of good connections in Russia and China and, uh, like, people I, you know, people I know from... I've been going to Russia 25 years and that, you know. 
So I've got I've got little investors there. I've got a couple of Chinese people, and yeah, I, I can I can pull the dough together to make the next one. So uh, I'm definitely going to do the next one before I snuff it. But before I shuffle off this mortal coil, I'm gonna I'm gonna be up there with that BAFTA. Yay! What do you think of that then? You know, that's it. Is, is, this, <laughs> is this you now? Is this is this what you is this what you want to do? Well, I want to keep managing placebo, and I've got. A new actor, man, is a girl called Alyssa Janine Woolman. You should check her out. She's a rapper from Germany, Thailand. She's only 21, but she's great. So I'm working with her. And um, But the films, I really love the films. and Because it's, it's weird with the films. Like when I was really young, about maybe 15, 16, and I'd be in Dundee, and it'd be winter, and I'd get pissed, and I'd, I'd have to walk home or something like four miles or something to the multis. You know what the multis are, the, the sort of multi-storey flats, like, you know, and it'd be snowing and it'd be freezing. It'd be something like Grizzly Adams or something, like, you know, ploughing through the snow to get home. But when I was doing that, I was making films in my head, you know. I, was, I would be making films with soundtracks, even at that time, and I never had any idea I'd ever make a film in my life, like, you know. But so I think it was kind of always in my DNA I was going to make a film because... To, to keep me going, walking through the snow to get back to the multis, I would make up films and make up tunes, you know, to go along with scenes. But it was only, what, 40 years later I actually did it. <laughs> so it was, it was a very slow process, you know. Uh, I've noticed as well as the Maltese Falcon, one of your favourite films is one of mine, is The Wicker Man. Oh, Jesus, The Wicker Man. Is that no mental? Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, you, you know, you, you watched the original, obviously, with Edward yeah. Woodward. I met... I the met original? Uh, yeah. <laughs> have you ever seen the... Have you seen the original? Oh, yeah. it's, it's, the original was great. I met Brett Eklund, I think it was at the NXS gig we did at the um, Brixton Academy. And what else do you say to Brett Eklund? Bar, <laughs> I saw you in the Wicker Man. Awesome. I went, nicely presented. I, I don't know what made me say that. I went, why would you ever say nicely presented to Brett Eklund? But anyway, I did say that. That was it. So that was that. That was that. That didn't go down too well, obviously, so I moved on. <laughs> but a great lovely. film, though. Isn't it yeah, scary? Lovely. These guys with it. Like, like, they've got these mad masks on and, you know, bears and badgers and antlers, and then he ends up on the fire, eh? Oh, crazy. It's horrific. It's horrific. I fell asleep when I, the last time I watched The Wicker Man, I watched it on my laptop and I fell asleep in a hot room. And <laughs> when I, I was, I, I was woken up by Edward Woodward's blood curdling screams as he was getting burnt <laughs> to death. And it was just like, just, oh my God. It's just no, like it's the, crazy least, the least pleasant way of getting woken up, I've, I've discovered. Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's, it's so realistic. The screaming is so realistic and hideous, and it's, it's uh, sad yeah. as well because it, because it looks quite good when he's going across on the little boat and he goes in for a, a pint in the pub and they're all sitting there with their iron jumpers on and their donkey jackets and sipping the drams and everything like that. And he's so innocent, walking about with his uniform on. And it's, oh, well, the it's weird thing like, about that film, I always think, is that they're they're kind of getting on with their life and he's disturbing it. Do you know what I mean? And in yeah, way, yeah, yeah. it looks like, I mean, they're having a great time on the, on the island, apart from if yeah. they're going to be sacrificed. Like that, that kind of community are all sort of like, they're, oh, they're, sort they're, of like they're that. enjoying themselves. 
They're having a great time. What? Once a year, we're just going to pick somebody out and put them on a bonfire. There you go. That's it. And then, and only, then we'll and carry on as normal. On them. They only do it when the crops don't come in. Most years. That's fair, that's fair it's enough. Fair, and fair's fair. Fair's fair, you fair's know. Fair. And they do make the best honey. They do make the best honey because the bees are very good, apparently. <laughs> but I, I, I love that. But the remake with Nicolas Cage was... Uh, it wasn't bad, but, you know, it, it wasn't up there we. um no, I, 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 don't, I think it gets a bit of a... I mean, I don't like it, but I think it's sort of... I think it's slightly misunderstood. I think it's... It's like a comedy, I think, the Nicolas Cage one. And I think it's meant uh, to... I think it's... I kind of think it's not... I think you're meant to laugh at a lot of it. Yes, maybe, maybe. Nicolas Cage was in Bangkok about 10 years ago um, when we had one of our military coups that come in frequently. And uh, he... Um, he, he got a private jet out of Bangkok the same night. <laughs> he was off. Boom. See you later. Like, you know. But, like, nothing happened. It was just, like, tanks on the streets and everything was cool. Like, you know, you get used to it. Wow. And you've also given us a list of uh, top three books. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and of your books, I, I, I have to say, I haven't read the only thing... I haven't read any of them, but the, your top three books were... Hurry on down, which is a book I'm not familiar with even. No, very, very unlikely you'd ever heard of that. It's by a guy called John Wayne, not the cowboy, W-A-I-N. And um, I don't know how I stumbled across it, but it's basically about a guy growing up in, the, say, the early 60s. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, the, the, like the period of Room at the Top and all these sort of films. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know? And, um, and he's, he's a bit like... Any any of us would have been like when we're twenty twenty one, you get any old sort of stupid joke like, and you end up in stupid situations, and you you drink too much, and you have stupid relationships, and it's it's just fantastic, and it's it's probably out of print now, but it's absolutely brilliant, right? Hurry on down, it's what it's probably my favourite favourite ever book. God, I must have read that. So, well, I can't say that because Remains of the Day is probably my favourite. Um, that, that's awesome. I've never read the book, but I love the movie. I love the movie. Well, the book. The, the, the book is just like the movie, obviously. It's just word for word. But but the great thing, it's so brilliant the way um, a, a, a Japanese guy can write about the English class system. And when when the butler goes to see the owner, the American guy, and he thinks, I need to strike up a conversation with him. I need to do a bit of bantering. You know, you remember when he talks about doing some bantering? And he, he reads up on banter, what banter is, small talk. So he, go, he goes in and sees the Lord and he tries this, you know, talking about the weather or something like that. And he comes and he says, hmm, I didn't think that, I don't think the bantering went too well. It's just <laughs> brilliant, like, you know. And yeah, he's I'm... so scared to talk to the housekeeper. It's like sad, you know. Oh, it's incredibly sad. I, find, I think it's a brilliant movie, though. I mean, um, oh. I mean well, I should read the book. book. Yeah, I really should. I mean, I've read the book at least 20 times. You see on the movie front, have you ever seen Billy Liar? Have you watched Billy Liar? No, I saw that as one of your choices. I've never seen it. I think that would be much my street, actually. Oh, Billy Liar. It's it's like Tom Courtney and Julie Christie. I mean, I won't spoil the ending, like, but... Well, I've spoiled the ending, because I think it's on there. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've said something about he should do that. But it's just brilliant, you know? And he's a great actor, Tom Courtney. Superb, you know? And the other book, what was, I think it was Brighton Rock was the other book, yeah? Yeah, Brighton Rock. Brighton Rock, yeah. Which is, like, obviously awesome. Like, have you read, has anybody read Brighton Rock? I've seen the film. I have. I've seen the film. Yeah, I, I just love it. Uh, 
Oh, yeah, the black and white is great. It's a rich dark bread. It's rich dark bread. Dicky. Is it yeah. Dicky? Yeah, it's Dicky, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah. He's he's pinky. I love that black and white. And I mean, it's amazing how you can go out, you know, and have five pints, five whiskeys, a fish supper, a taxi home, and still have change of 50 pence, you know. It's, like, <laughs> awesome. Like, the, the, the kind of good old days, like, you know, down, down in Brighton, I'd, 1941 uh, or whatever, you know. A couple of years Super. ago, a friend of mine, and we went to a pub in Marble Arch, and I ordered two pints, and I think it came to about <laughs> 14 quid. And I, in my head, I went, well, that's it. Not, it's, too, it's too much now. It's too much now. We've got to put an end to this. I'm not paying 14 quid. Ridiculous. Yeah, for a pint, yeah. Yeah, well, like, see, see, I never drink pints. I, I just drink wine, I like red wine. That, that, that's it for me, like, you know. I mean, in the old days, I used to drink, like, maybe five bottles of brandy a week or something. It was, like, ridiculous, you know. Um, crazy. But now it's, like, a couple of glasses of red wine with a meal. But I've never drunk pints, never. I just couldn't drink pints. It's, like, impossible for me to drink pints, you know. I just... I mean, these guys that go out for, um, oh, 20 pints, like, and, have, and, then, and, and then they go for an Indian meal and another 10 pints, and then they go back and lie down in bed. It's like, fucking hell. You know, unbelievable. <laughs> um, and, and looking at your top four TV shows as well. And there's lots of kind of familiar ones. You've got, like, The Sopranos and Breaking Bad. The Blacklist, I never saw that. Did you see that, Nick? Well, it's interesting because it's James Spader and uh, it's di- some of the episodes are directed by Andrew McCarthy and obviously they teamed up from the movie Mannequin. Uh, so James Spader and Andrew McCarthy are both in Mannequin. They're both in Pretty right. in Pink. And then years right, later, okay. James, Spader, James Spader got Andrew McCarthy back onto David at the Blacklist. Um, but no, I've not seen it. <laughs> um, so what's the you Blacklist know, it's, it's... about? It's it's just about a a guy who's uh, he's he's like a number one criminal and he turns himself into the CIA and he needs um, what what's the word Im- immunity to get the CIA to track down fifty mastermind criminals throughout the world, you know. So anyway, so so he's like a master criminal, but he gets immunity and he goes tracking down all these criminals. And it's case one, case 16, case 23, whatever, right? So they're all these crazy kind of stories. But in every, in every single story, James Spader will it, you, you'll kind of go halfway through. Did I ever tell you about the time I was in Zanzibar and met this Irish guy in a pub drinking brandy and he was selling goats or something like that? You know, It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's just gone off on a complete tangent, right? And he tells this crazy story, then it comes back to the script, you know? And, and this happens in every every single script. Yes, I remember I was in Paris and I was drinking with Toulouse Lautrec. He was painting that, and it's like, where, where's he going with this? And he's going nowhere. But it's just the signature nonsense thing of of, of the whole thing. But it's it's high paced, high octane, fast and furious, load of nonsense, but great entertainment. Like you know, it's really good. And he's he's excellent in it. Like you know, and it's had about eight seasons, so it must be quite good. Oh yeah. Well, James Spader's had a really kind of like bonkers career, where yeah. he started off he started off doing teen romantic comedies, and then he was in Stargate, and then he was uh, in um, Crash, and Secretary, and then he was in Lincoln, but a small part in Lincoln, and then he went bald and started doing the Blacklist, and it's just kind of like wow. Well, I like, tell you what, I, th- I think. I think he gets about 500 grand an episode, so he's doing okay, you know. 
Oh yeah, I'm sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, but it's kind of like this kind of like meandering river of a career where he's kind of like gone everywhere. Yeah, uh, yeah just leading, ma- le- leading man in a big science fiction fantasy movie. Uh, yeah, with Kurt Russell, and then yeah, yeah, I think he's he's really interesting. No, he's good. He's 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 very good. It's, I mean, the like the the weird thing is in the last. Um, nine months or whatever since this... Well, it's not really a lockdown in Thailand because there's no any hardly any COVID here. We've we've only had 70 deaths in Thailand in 10 months, you know. Um, so, I mean, there is a lockdown of sorts, but, I mean, it's, it's very, very tame-like, you know. But but here I've kind of stopped watching Netflix since this has started, and I've started listening to audiobooks, which are amazing. And um, it doesn't matter how exciting an audio book is, it could be the most exciting book in the world, right? And you can go to your bed at night and say, all right, I'm just going to listen to a couple of chapters of that audio book, and it'll be... <laughs> You've just got to sleep right away. It's unbelievable. And it doesn't matter who it is. It could be yeah. so exciting. It just soothes you to sleep. It's... And then you, you sort of start on chapter 10, thinking, right, I'll just have a couple of chapters. Then you wake up in the morning, it's... Fucking hell, it's chapter 42, and you think, what, Jesus, what happened there? What, what's going on? And you have to rewind it and go, I don't want to know what happened there. I've got, I've got to go back. Jesus, <laughs> did they tell yeah. me what happened? I listened to two minutes of uh, two minutes of Jamaica in yesterday, and it was I don't know that. nine and a half. I thought, I thought... <laughs> it's, set, it's set in Cornwall. I'm watching the Rick Stein Cornwall series, and he was talking about Jamaica in, and so I, watched, I listened to Jamaica in, and it's nine and a half hours good? long. So you've done two I minutes? Know. I listened to two minutes. I've got another <laughs> nine hours, 28 minutes to go. It's uh, flying by. Good so far, um, Good we've, so far. We, we've, we've, we've come to the end of our chat, Dave. Um, Is that, Jesus, um, that was quick, man. Yeah. It's really quick. Jesus, it always quick. goes, it's, it's, it's flying by, but we've, we've got that. time. We still have time to play uh, our uh, world-famous game uh, better or worse with Nathaniel Metcalf. So I'm going to hand you over to Nathaniel because he's done all the heavy lifting this hour anyway. So I'm going <laughs> to hand you over good. to Nathaniel and uh, he's going he's gonna to play the game. So Dave, this good is the game, this is better or worse, and you have to say if the next person is better or worse than the person before based entirely on my opinion to score points. So right, okay. Samuel L. Jackson, uh-huh. is Lorraine Kelly better or worse than Samuel L. Jackson? Lorraine Kelly, she's a Dundee United fan, yeah. So is she better then or worse? She's a Dundee United fan, she's better. <laughs> she's worse, perhaps, sorry, Dave. Whacking Phoenix, better or worse than Lorraine <laughs> Kelly. I like Lorraine, she's a high card. I like Whacking Phoenix, Phoenix. Is, is, is that the guy who was in the, the film where um, he, he lost all his weight and everything? No, 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 yeah, Joker. Joker. Oh, Joker. Yeah, he lost oh, all the weight for yeah, Joker. He's, he's, oh, he's great. He's awesome. We haven't, we haven't got time to I chat about this, Dave. This is a, this is a, this is a speed game, all right? Oh, okay, We've okay. We've got to rattle through this. Yeah, all right? okay. Welcome, Phoenix. Yeah, welcome, Phoenix. And how come Lorraine Kelly gets mentioned every two minutes? Well, because you've got to say we're better or worse. He's whacking Phoenix. Oh, right. He's better than that. He's better. Correct. Michael Keaton, better or worse than... No, sorry, River Phoenix, better or worse than Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, River Phoenix, better. Better. Michael Keaton, better or worse than River Phoenix? Better. Worse. Better. Uh, Michael Fassbender, better or worse than Michael Keaton? Worse. Ooh, better. Worse. Michael C. Jordan, better or worse than Michael Fassbender? 
Better. He's a basketball player, isn't he? Michael J. Fox, better or worse than Michael B. Jordan? Oh, oh Michael J. Fox, better. Yeah. Jamie Fox, better or worse than Michael J. Fox? Worse. Uh, worse. 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 Um, Jamie Lee Curtis, better or worse than Jamie Fox? Uh, better. Better. And Jamie Bell, better or worse than Jamie Lee Curtis? Never heard of the first guy. Jamie Bell. Uh, from Billy Elliot. Oh, he's great. He was in the film I saw the other day. <laughs> film stars don't die Liverpool. He's better. Yeah. yeah he's worse. He's worse. Worse than, he's Ch- worse. Worse than Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> no. What's the score? Oh, wow. Well, Dave, you scored a five. Um, is that don't good? feel too bad. No, five is not no, good. Right. Five, <laughs> is, five is. Five is not as good as Jen Brewster, Thomas Coombs, Jason Manfred, Joseph Daly with 10, David Patel, Ken Chang, Harry Hill, Luke Morley with 9, Matthew Crosby, Susie Dent, Charles Ooh. Eston, Eddie Hepp, David Hepworth, Jason Isaacs and Simon West, Magical Burns, Samantha Morton, Matt O'Kine, Miranda Raisin, Griffiths James, Chris Dark, Stu Whiffle with 8, Richard Herring, James King, Henry Normal, Janet Varney, Johnny Vegas with 7, and Gary Jesus, and Frank Harper with 6. You've scored the what? year's worst, I'm afraid. Jesus, that's terrible. That's oh, terrible. Okay, it it was bad, but in actual fact, that's its own honour, isn't it? That's its own badge it, of honour. It's, it's own honour. I am Sheffield United uh, of the, the, the Premier League. <laughs> we've got to say, we've got to say that Schemers is out. It's available now. Oh no, from the twenty fifth of January, and it's available yes, on DVD and digital download. Indeed, it is. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. That was brilliant. Love chatting to you. Yeah, thanks thank for coming you. on. Yeah, thanks for watching the film. Congratulations. See you. Yeah. Uh, goodbye, everyone. And, uh, have a safe week. Enjoy, uh, enjoy uh, lockdown. And uh, thanks for listening.